Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done that, who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what. And all of my guests are unique, and yet there's a common thread that seems to run in each one of their stories. First of all, everybody has a story. Everybody has something that they have endured or conquered in their life that they can share to help somebody else. And that is the platform for this show. Many of my guests have survived incredible circumstances and as a result, they have a passion to help others. This is what I get excited about because people who take their low times of their life to help someone else reach their peak, their potential, that's exciting. That's how we share with one another, and that's what excites me. This show gives them the opportunity for my guests not only to share their stories, but to encourage. And some have, have experienced extreme poverty in their lives where they've lost everything or they've had abuse. It's amazing that some people have experienced so many of these things as my guest today will share, not just in the areas of, of uh, abuse, but also in the areas of extreme emotional stress. And many of my guests have lost everything, whether it's in themselves and their self-esteem, or whether it is in the area of finances or family loss, or health. This is why we share our stories to help someone else understand, to be empathetic, and to teach them how they too can thrive. Our show is now heard in over 140 countries. It still maintains the number one spot in Google searches for the subject of hope. And that's what we're all about. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks to my guests, of course, but also to my listeners, because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. Welcome today to Professor Pete Alexander. One of the things I think that we can all relate to, I don't care if you're a year old or a hundred years old, stress is around us. Some of it is created, and I'm sure that um, Professor Pete is going to to share the various types of stress that we do endure. And others is things that happen to us which are are of no fault of our own. Professor Pete Alexander is a results-based, coach-helping, hard-driving, 
leaders overcome their self-imposed barriers to success in business and life. Wow, that says it all. He is a recovering, hard-driving leader with over 30 years of experience in sales, in marketing, and also entrepreneurial experience. Pete has successfully battled the negative effects of stress head-on, and he has developed a method called Lighten, L-I-G-H-T-E-N. It's a stress relief model that motivates his peers to take action in only a few minutes a day. That is a formula that everybody needs to hear. So I thank you so much, Professor Pete Alexander, for being on our show today. Carol, thank you for having me and thank you for your listeners for their time. So the first thing we want to talk about is your growing up years. Growing up, you were no stranger to stress. What I'd like you to share with us is your childhood and your teenage years, and I know that many people in the audience are going to be able to relate. Yeah, it was not the beautiful white picket fence that uh, you know you would like to have. Um, you know, when you imagine how the childhood you would love to have that. <laughs> you know, for those mm-hmm. those of your li- listeners who have the Leave It to Beaver kind of uh, uh, idea about how it would just be nice and everything would be uh, all nice and 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 perfect. Um, you know, when I think about uh, dysfunctional families, uh, I think about how you could look in the dictionary and it would be a picture of my family in there. That would be the definition, really. Uh, so what happened for me, I, you know, if I think back and I start with the fact that my parents had nine marriages, seven divorces, and one widowing. So that uh, that's kind of interesting, but then I add to it the fact that um, we add to the, um, that my parents uh, were also married and divorced to each other twice. So if we think about that Richard Burton, Liz Taylor kind of thing, that was, that was going on. And then I add to it the fact that I have one sister uh, that is a hundred percent blood relative and she was a product of my parents first marriage and I was a product of my parents second marriage so if you think about that how many times can you can you find someone who actually has a hundred percent blood relative but from a second marriage so <laughs> it's very you know I'm yet to find yet a, a somebody that, that can you're that unique can say that. Pete you're unique <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and uh, we learn from our 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 childhoods, obviously. And you know, I had one that was very dysfunctional, as you can imagine, just from those marriages. Um, once my parents, so so, the, my parents were married to, uh, to each other. They got divorced. My dad remarried, got divorced. Then my my parents got married again, got divorced. My dad remarried, um, and then my uh, mom, I guess, decided that she needed to catch up. So uh, she <laughs> she had uh, a couple more marriages who that were to very alcoholic dysfunctional people. Uh, one what lasted for about six months. Thank God it didn't last longer because uh, he was very abusive, physically abusive. Um, and then she had a long marriage with someone who was an alcoholic for basically since he was uh, 11 years old. 
and he was a vaudeville uh, uh, performer who, uh, as a child, and you know that's what they did back then. They uh, they drank and they smoked, and yeah. um, that was pretty much uh, how how it was. And um, you know, I uh, I had to to live with that because um, I was primarily with my mom during that time, and. Uh, you know, there were a lot of times where um, the priority, in fact, most of the time, the priority when it came to very limited money in the house, um, it, I remember my mom and stepfather saying that the priority was booze first, um, cigarettes second, and then if there was money left over, then we could get some food. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was something. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was experienced uh, a lot of hardship there um, to the point where it was it, it, in my teenage years, uh, it was pretty much forgettable. Uh, my mom thought that I was uh, somebody that was really, uh, need, you know, even I was angry. And so her solution to that was that I needed to get laid. And so... Um, at 13 years old, uh, they uh, or she arranged to have a 46-year-old family friend uh, oh take care of that. And uh, needless to say, that didn't work. Um, and as you mentioned uh, uh, earlier in your introduction, uh, at 14, my uh, uh, my my mom and stepfather watched as uh, you know I tried to commit suicide with a knife slitting my wrists, and fortunately something inside of me as I saw the blood open up in my wrist said no I can't do this and I and uh, you know I ran into my room and started stabbing a pillow instead and uh, uh, so fortunately I didn't I didn't go through with that but I mean to get to the point you know as a 14 year old where you literally do that I mean that is not okay Um, you know having a you know uh, a 46-year-old sleeping with a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old wanting to commit suicide because it, 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 he wanted attention and didn't yes. want to uh, uh, put up with this anymore. It just wasn't right. And then, you know, later on, um, when my... It, it was interesting. My stepfather, he finally quits uh, 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 drinking at... Uh, it was... Uh, he got pulled over for his fourth DUI, and it was, I remember it was the December before um, the new rules came into effect where if you had any priors, you immediately would go to jail for six months, but he was a smart ass to the the, the policeman that pulled him over, and so they let him dry out overnight in the county jail, and what happened, according to him, was that he had a cellmate who scared, scared him said that really? you're lucky that this didn't happen 30 days later or in January because he would have been in jail for six months and uh, he was a small skinny guy and he would have ended up being abused himself and so uh, it, it woke him up and he had he dried himself out and I'll never forget when he uh, he started going through the detoxes. Oh my gosh, I didn't think he was going to survive because yeah. he was shaking. I don't know if uh, any of your listeners or for yourself, Carol, ever uh, watched the um, 
Ray Milland, who won an Academy Award for The Lost Weekend. And uh, it was basically an alcoholic going through detox. And he was a, a hallucinating, and it, just, it, was, it was just horrible what he was going through. And that's exactly what, what my stepfather did as well. But it was interesting because after he survived that, he, for the year, maybe 18 months, we actually had a relationship because prior to him going through that, the most common uh, conversation that he and I would have, he would call me a punk, I would call him a drunk, and he thought the funniest thing in the world was that uh, he said, yeah, but in the morning, I'll be sober, but you'll still be a, uh, a punk. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so he thought that was the hilarious, most funniest thing, but uh, we... We actually had a relationship until then he started uh, having trouble with his legs and uh, after m multiple back surgeries he ended up um, uh, permanently disabled and his whole demeanor just dropped out because really? yeah he was you know he was somebody as I mentioned earlier he was a vaudeville performer he was used to being the center of attention he was used to be being uh, someone who would um, love to uh, cheer other people up. People would call him to, to get uplifted, to hear a, the latest joke, something like that. And right. now it was that he, all he could talk about was his depression and how much pain he was in and his, all this huge network of friends and his family and extended family stopped uh, visiting, stopped calling. Yeah. And he, uh, he sadly, on uh, uh, one day, um, right after his Thanksgiving in 1988, he uh, uh, told me I, I was still living at home. I was uh, heading off to work, and then I was going to school in the evening. And I remember, and my mom was working full time, and so uh, I would always check on him before I left for work because she left earlier than I did. And uh, so I just checked with him, and I just said, hey, I'm heading off to work. Um, and he told me, he said, make sure you check on me before, uh, you know, going off to work. And I thought that was odd because, you know, he, I would do that automatically. And so I came home from, uh, uh, from work, and... Uh, before I headed off to school, and, and I remember I walked into his room, and he had a hospital bed, and as you know, I had one second where I was looking, and I thought this looks strange, and then my eyes started taking in all the surroundings, and sadly, he had managed to hang himself from the center bar um, on his, his home hospital bed, wow. and uh, commit suicide as opposed to keeping on 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 living. Now, at that moment, now you said that that is etched in your memory, mm -hmm. and the moment you found him and realized what happened, did you have to deal with guilt? Not right off the bat. Um, it was more of a shock than anything else. Um, I think that uh, my mom had to deal with more guilt, and he purposely wanted me to find him as opposed to yes. my mom, because my mom would have just completely lost it. Um, so it's interesting that you ask that. Uh, the guilt hit me, oh, if I remember correctly, it was about two months later. And, mm. you know, I just, and I don't know what exactly it was that hit me, 
But all of a sudden, I just started crying. I started going through that guilt. I was lucky enough that one of my um, friends was in Al-Anon, and he, and he had also had been in AA. And he said, you know, there's this uh, other 12-step program called uh, ACA, or Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. You might want to check that out. And so I did. And I remember listening to the problem and listening to the solution and going, and within the first 10 minutes of that uh, meeting, I went, oh my God, there's someone else who knows how I feel because wow, that was the, yes, yes. it was that was the weirdest thing about growing up with a very alcoholic dysfunctional family I can tell you that um, because food being third on the priority list behind booze and cigarettes well then fourth was rent and so there were times where um, our landlord would call and threaten or the phone or the electricity would get cut off. What you're all about is relieving stress. Mm -hmm. You certainly have laid the foundation to show that as a young child and a young teenager and a young man, you dealt with a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And so what I want you, first of all, to tell us where that stress led, because I know that you encountered a debilitating disease. Mm-hmm. Correct. So what happened there? What what was the stress that you were dealing with? Was it in business or is it, you know, what personal or what took brought you to that place where you came to a, a turning point in your life? Actually, it started uh, from an adult standpoint, you know, so so the stress that I was dealing with as a kid that we just talked about, um, you know, I continued to manifest that and fortunately, um, that uh, ACA program allowed me to first like myself and then love myself. It didn't actually teach me how to properly deal with the stress and trying to be that perfectionist that uh, and, and the hero that I had learned um, as a kid to, to, to try and overcome what was going on. So the debilitating um, uh, disease actually manifested itself back in 2008 when I was dealing with a, a perfect storm of stressful activity. So first and foremost, my father, uh, my biological father, was, was given uh, three months to live. He was in hospice and he needed somebody to take care of his affairs. Then my mom, she had uh, decided to have major hip surgery and her insurance didn't cover everything she needed to um, take care of herself after surgery, so she needed help. Um, I had a, uh, a business that needed my full-time attention. I had kids who were very small who wanted daddy's attention. And last but lot, last not least, I had a marriage that was heading for the rocks and, uh, and for divorce and so all those things were on my shoulders and lo and behold I get uh, diagnosed with stress-induced diabetes. The crazy thing is that did I listen to my body about what stress mm. was doing to it? No. In 
instead, what I decided to do was burn the candle at both ends for another 10 years. And so until I ended up in the emergency room with a severe case of diabetic ketoacidosis. And for your listeners who don't know what that is, in a nutshell, my body was eating itself alive because of my stress. One of the keys that when I was reading over your bio that I really appreciated you saying and that, mm-hmm. that how important it is to get a handle on your stress before it does permanent damage. So mm-hmm. obviously you came to that point of permanent damage. Now this, you had to turn your life around. What did you do? Yeah, it was, it was actually an epiphany moment for me because, you know, I had been in the emergency room both for myself with sports injuries as a kid and as an adult and with, with, as a parent when, when, when one of my kids um, had uh, something that happened that we needed to rush them to the emergency room. But it, what the crazy thing is, is that uh, in the emergency room this time with the diabetic ketoacidosis, I still hadn't had that epiphany moment. That epiphany moment happened Two days later, when I was in the ICU for the very first time, I had never been in that before. And there I was being, you know, uh, I, I had my phone and my, my boss at the time knew I was in the emergency room and then had been transferred to ICU. And I get this text at about 6 a.m. And it's from my boss. And she says, you have a webinar you need to run at eight o'clock in the morning. What are you going to do about it? And even then, so I'm in a hospital bed and my, my glucose numbers had come down to a more reasonable amount because it was when I was, it had been admitted to uh, in the hospital, my numbers were so high that they could not be read. It was off the charts. And the doctor had said, had my wife not brought me in at that time, I probably would have been comatose in one hour. So I get this text and I start thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I better do something about that. I need to reschedule this webinar and I am pushing the envelope on how much I can do with my phone to try and reschedule this webinar. And my numbers, because they were checking my glucose every half an hour, and so all of a sudden, there I go, like a 90 degree angle with my numbers, it starts to skyrocket again. And it was a nurse who took my glucose and she just happened to say, you realize that this is what put you in this bed in the first place. Finally, it was that aha moment, that epiphany moment, and I realized I better change something or else I may not get the opportunity to meet my future grandchildren if I keep doing what I'm doing. What I did was uh, I made that mental decision that I have to change and I was stressing myself with a major project I was working on and I just decided you know what I need to focus on myself 
And so I resigned from my position and I started looking at all these different techniques that I could find, whether it was meditation or deep breathing or yoga, exercise, etc. And I just started finding all these different techniques and I experimented with each one. And the interesting thing was some of them worked better than others, but what I did notice was that not by applying these techniques, not only did my stress go down, but so did my glucose numbers as a diabetic, so did my weight, my weight started coming down, and my energy level went way, way up, and in fact, I felt like I had discovered the fountain of youth because I felt younger. I really did. And I realized that, you know what, I must not be the only person who was trading my mental and physical health for my career or other responsibilities I had in life and I decided you know what I got to share this information with others and and that's what why I changed direction in my career and decided to, to, to help others who were you know needed to get a handle on their stress you have created the lighten model which I had <laughs> just mentioned earlier as well and one of the things that I appreciated that you said was that the tips you give in your book is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think that a lot of books that are written are written in that vein that if you do this, this, and this, this is going to happen. And, and that isn't always the case because there are different criteria. And one of the, that's why I'd like you to share what is different and unique about your book. Tell us what the Lighten model is and give us some of those tips, if you would, please. Sure. So let me take first uh, and foremost, you're right, that a lot, of the, a lot of the people that I was talking to, they told me that, you know, I, I just don't have the time to read a 300-page book on meditation. The reality is I'm going into this difficult conversation or this important presentation in five minutes and I am freaking out, what can I do? So I thought about it and I said, you know, it's true because something that might work great for me or something that might work great for you, Carol, may not work well for someone else. So what we really need to do is we really need to have the opportunity to have a book that has several different techniques and several different uh, uh, tips that can be experimented with and if something works great, wonderful. Use one or two different tips because you will benefit from it because if you're mindful enough to uh, find something that does help, it is anything at all that you can do to apply some sort of stress relief in your life will help you avoid that future burnout that potentially can happen like it happened to me and it happened to others that I know. And what I found in my research, and that's one of the things as a, as a PhD you learn, you learn how to do research. And I found 
that there were seven areas of our life that have the most effect on our stress. And the Lighten model is an acronym for those seven areas. So oh, the okay. L, that's where, where it works out. So the L in Lighten stands for your livelihood or your career. It's where you make your money. And as we think about it, in most of our uh, careers, we are going to spend more time on our career than just about any other area of our life. And for those of us who have the workaholic tendencies, we may spend more time on our career than we spend even sleeping. So it is critical to have some techniques that'll give us some balance in our livelihood or our career. So that's what. The I stand, I like to call it our imagination or our conscious mind. It's where our creativity ha happens. It's also where our critical inner self is. And it is only 5% of our brain. But we can tap into that creativity to come up with some ideas for helping us come up with different ideas to, uh, to deal with a stressful situation. So that's our, that's the I. The G is, I, it, what I like to call it, is our genius. Our unconscious mind that takes up the other 95% of our brain. And those of us who don't believe that we have an unconscious mind that is active, I would add, say that, think about if you've ever gotten in your car <laughs> and you have driven from point A to point B and you have no recollection of it, right. but you know you got there. <laughs> yes. That is your unconscious mind driving. So your unconscious mind is where your memories are stored, it is where our perception of our life and how we see things in our life is stored. And it is where real change happens. So that's your genius or your unconscious mind. The H stands for health, or as we talked about before, it's uh, if you don't have your physical health, probably nothing else matters. And the reason because of that is if we think about when we have, let's say, a really bad cold or the flu. Now think about the last time you had that, Carol. Did you feel like doing anything else but lying in bed? Well, unfortunately, I'm not a good person to ask because as a health coach, I have not had a cold or flu for almost 45 years. Well, congratulations. <laughs> okay, but I will ask your, your listeners <laughs> exactly. that the last time that you had a really bad cold or a really bad flu, it probably didn't want to do anything but lie in bed and maybe watch TV. And that is the reality. But you can probably appreciate that without your health, there's probably not that's much right. else that matters. That's so right. So that's where health comes in. And T stands for time because like health, that is a wonderful, wonderful asset. But unlike your health, once it's gone, you can't get it back. 
And so you really need to take note of what you want to use your time on. And so it's very important to um, have an opportunity or a mindset that you need to take action now because you don't want to procrastinate until tomorrow or until next week or until next month. You want to take action now to get the benefit. So that's where, where T stands for. E is your environment. And that is where you need to have your environment, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, where it's supportive of your stress relief efforts. Because I, I like to use the example of when I was working on my PhD back in the early 2000s. And I was working out of my home office on the weekends primarily because my weekdays were spent working and taking care of my other responsibilities. And what was interesting is I have the door closed to my home office, and my kids who in the early 2000s were like, you know, let's say in 2002, they were six and two years old, <laughs> they, um, they would come into my office and want to spend time with daddy. And I will not regret spending all that time with them because that made all the difference in the world. But what I can tell you is that I would then think, okay, now when am I going to find the time to do the work I need to right. do? And that added a whole bunch of stress. So um, the environment is really critical. And finally, the end stands for your network of relationships. The people in your life matter. It's you know, when we are stressed, we are more irritable, we have less patience, and we have less empathy for those people that we are uh, talking with and spending, uh, spending some time with. So it is really critical to have some sort of balance with those people in our life so that those people are in more balance with the other aspects of the lightning model. So those seven areas, you know, it's, it's not likely that you will have a utopia and have everything in perfect balance all the time. There will be times where you need to spend more time on your career or on your relationship, but being mindful that you can have uh, keep them in some sort of alignment with each other. That's, that's the critical aspect. Now, in your book, do you, like, have a chapter per each part of this model, or tell us a little bit about how your book is laid out? Yeah, so I start the book out with just a story about myself and how we talked about um, how uh, stress, uh, how I manifested stress, and then I talk about why uh, it's important to understand what stress can do for you, do to you and what stress is hap what stress is, is, is doing to others based on uh, the research out there. And then I do talk about all the different ideas that I came across that um, can help you and how you can take um, uh, experiment with them based on those, different seven areas of your life. So I have the different tips laid out 
based on your livelihood or your imagination, your genius, etc. So that um, you, if you are experiencing something in a particular area of your life, you can go right to that particular chapter of your oh, book, okay. uh, of the book. Yeah, so that then you can experiment with those. But the ideas that I have, um, and there are well over a hundred of them in the book, you don't have to say like, oh, I'm dealing with some particular person, I can't use something that might have, I might have used for my career, because many of these techniques transfer over to other areas of our life. So what I do as part of the book is I say, yeah, while this particular technique falls under this area of your life, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't use it when you're dealing with a difficult person or you're di dealing with a difficult part of your work. So it, it is intended to... Um, to, to work in multi, uh, many different areas of your life. That is really... Enlightening. Is, <laughs> enlightening is another word. Stimulating, I think, is, mm -hmm. is really what I'm trying to say. That is really stimulating because we are all looking for something. We're all looking for coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And when I say stimulating, meaning it's going to motivate me to... Open your book, find the area that I may be dealing with at that time, and see how you, the suggestions that you make, what I can take from that and use right there and then. So it's a perfect book, and from what I see you saying, for those who are stressed <laughs> and they need a quick answer. Exactly. So that's... So it's so funny because I've had I I've actually had people tell me that they have used a technique in the book because what they did was they felt stressed and they knew that they needed to do something and they went and they took a fast two three minute break in the bathroom and they actually just either flipped through the book or you know they used the electronic version on their phone right, right. and they just said wait a minute I'm dealing with this let me take a quick look and they tried something and that's the key that's the key is you just you know as I mentioned earlier about the T aspect of the light and model it's all about taking action now and if you and you only have to invest one or two minutes, and you can get benefit. That is amazing. Uh, your feedback must be marvelous. It is. It is, because what I do as well as the book is I, I do a weekly video blog, and um, I take one of the tips that's in the book, and I talk oh, okay. about it. Okay, and great. so I get, you know, that's where I get the additional feedback, and you say, oh, wow, this is awesome. Like. You know, I'll, I'll, you know the, the, the detox from technology is a classic one because, you know, we look, uh, the way we are today, we have that electronic leash known as our cell phone, <laughs> and we are connected to it. The issue is when we are responding to work emails or texts or voicemails in the evening, on the weekend, on our vacation. What happens is we don't 
give our op an opportunity for our mind nor our body to recharge. And so what happens is, is that when we're constantly responding, we really don't stop working. And when we don't stop working, we are continuously stressing ourselves and not in a good way. So that's a perfect one. And so it's funny, I, I use the example of when I was younger and I would take the kids camping. It wasn't that I absolutely loved camping. I liked camping, but the primary reason that we would go camping is so that we didn't have the phones to distract us mm -hmm. because we wouldn't have, at, the, at least at that time, we wouldn't have the Wi-Fi or cell phone connection. So, you know, I would see my, not only myself, but I, you know, I would see my kids sort of, you know, disconnecting from the electronics and we would go through that detox. But the amazing thing is that the next day the world didn't end. That's <laughs> right. So, uh, you've got it right there. One client who said, you know, about this particular technique, I don't like camping. I don't like the bugs. <laughs> and I said, okay, do you like going to the spa? And they said, yeah, I like okay. to get a, you know, I like to go to the spa at least once a month or once a week, let's say. And I said, well, what you can do is, you know, I, uh, how long do you spend at the spa? A couple hours. And so I said, okay. Instead of bringing the phone with you and leaving, even if you're leaving it in the locker, leave your phone in the car. And I said, and, and she said, well, why is that? And I said, because let's say you're going to the spa, do you, you know, get a facial or do you get a pedicure or a manicure while you're at the spa? And I said, yeah. And so, um, what are you doing when you go in and out of the locker to get your robe or to take a shower? Oh, do you go and you check your phone? Absolutely. And I said, well, that's why you're not fully disconnecting and taking in the, the spa. If you leave your phone in the car, you're not likely going to go out to the car right. to get right. your phone when you're in your robe. You know? <laughs> Very sound advice. As a lot of these things, I wrote this all down as as you were, as you were talking and, and laying out the model. And I, I'm going to encourage, and certainly promote, um, not just the idea, but your book and your message here, which we all need to hear. At some, even kids, we all need to hear this message. And I sincerely appreciate you making it so clear, so concise. And we look forward to getting really positive feedback <laughs> as far as the responses and, and how people were able to use that model. And so I thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. I thank you for sharing your story, which was phenomenal in many areas of stress-related problems and that people could relate, you know, from different walks of life as, as they listened and also the upside, of course, the upside where you turned it around, you had that pivotal moment, and that is so essential to 
building the new you, building the you that you want to become, which you're the perfect model of, of showing that to my guests today. So I oh, thank, thank you, you for Carol. never I thank you for never giving up. <laughs> I thank you for sharing that message and I thank you so much, Pete, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Carol, thank you so much for being on for allowing me to be on the show. I really appreciate the the time uh, that your listeners will give and the only thing I would just tell them is always listen to their body listen to their gut because it's there to tell them something so uh, just keep that in mind and there's always always uh, opportunities and techniques that can help them and won't take much time you said it in a nutshell Thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.